We begin in our scriptures today to find joy in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart? Is it easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for sending a man with such great authority. So I'm writing this uh, message that we're hearing today on October 5th, 2017, in a state of complete exhaustion. 2017 has brought us uh, two massive hurricanes, two mass shootings, one in Las Vegas, one in Texas, with no discernible motive, which has left over 85 people dead, over 500 injured. I found out in June that I had a brain tumor, had it removed in July. I almost hate to even talk about it because so many of my friends this year are having to struggle with real cancer. You have a grade one benign meningioma? You were lucky! But I'm tired, tired of the waves of horror and misery, and I want it to stop. All I want for Christmas this year is relief. I love mushy Christmas songs, I really do, and one of the mushiest is by Amy Grant, A Grown-Up Christmas Wish. Amy has a list for God of what she wants this year for Christmas, and it goes like this. No more lives torn apart. Then wars would never start, and time would heal all hearts. And everyone would have a friend, and right would always win, and love would never end. This is my grown-up Christmas list. I think that's what I want, too. But who has the authority to grant us a Christmas wish like that? Who on earth has authority to grant us a Christmas wish like that? For those of you new to, hear, new to Christianity, here's an old church joke to answer the question. Sunday school teacher uh, is sick, so the pastor has to fill in for the kindergarten Sunday school class. So he decides he'll open up with a game. He looks out the window and says, kids, I spy with my eyes something out this window with gray fur. Kids look out the window, but no one answers. Up in the tree, he says, gathering nuts. Still silence. With a bushy tail shaped like a question mark? Come on, kids, no one? One of the kids, his lip quivering, finally raises his hand and says, Pastor, it sure does sound like a squirrel, but I know the answer must be Jesus. (laughs) The one who can fulfill this Christmas wish is born on Christmas Day, the newborn king. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And this new king will bring peace on earth, goodwill to men. So many Christmas songs proclaim the joy to come. And he will have authority to bring us 
relief. Except that word authority makes us very nervous in culture these days. Bible scholar N.T. Wright put it really well. He said, authority has bad press in much of the world for a hundred years or more now. It goes together in the popular mind with nasty ideas like repression, human rights abuses, and such like. Think of the authorities, and what do you see? Policemen, perhaps, judges, looking stern and solemn and ready to send you to prison. Faceless civil servants and bureaucrats making laws and regulations which seem designed to make life difficult for ordinary people like you. In some countries, authorities mean something worse still. It means people who knock on your door at five o'clock in the morning, take you away with no good reason, beat you up and maybe kill you. It means people who pass oppressive laws that force you to leave your family for half a year if you want to find any work or that prevent you from leaving your own town to find work in the next one because a new border has just been drawn across the map of your own country. The authorities are people who seem able to run things the way they want but are answerable to nobody. What authority really means in all these cases, of course, is people who have the power to do what they want. This usually means people who have an army to back them up. Authority means power, which means force, which means violence. No wonder we're suspicious of the very word authority itself. Yet here it is in the gospel story. Jesus has authority. You can't miss it. Authorities are in charge of disaster relief here in our country, and they don't always do a good job. Authorities in the church are no better. We were just talking in church staff this last month about all of the theologians, all of the preachers, all of the Christian writers that we have loved so much for so long, who write such inspiring words, give such inspiring talks. And recently, they've all gotten Twitter accounts. And within 90 days, they just send out angry tweets once or twice a day, and you never happen to block them because they're just so full of vitriol and anger and snarkiness. Authorities squabble about guns and mental illness for a few weeks after every mass shooting, but no change ever comes. And it probably sounds like I'm trying to hint at some change I would recommend, but I I don't know what to do either. What makes us think Jesus' authority will be any different than this? In our scripture today, we find a story about a paralyzed man who comes seeking healing. And instead of healing him right away, Jesus first tells him, your sins are forgiven. Now that upsets the religious authorities because they know that only God can forgive sins. They might even in their time have believed this man was paralyzed because of his sins. So Jesus says to them, look guys, which would be easier? For me to say the words, your sins are forgiven? Or for me to say, stand up and walk? Well, obviously, it's easier to say the words, your sins are forgiven, because there's no way to verify whether that has actually happened or not. If he says, stand up and walk, and it happens, then you know Jesus has the power of God within him. And if he doesn't stand up and walk, then you know that Jesus is a fake. So Jesus decides he'll go double down. Verse 16, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. So Jesus intentionally moved himself right into the crosshairs 
He says he's doing this to prove that he has the power which belongs only to God, the power to forgive sins. So if this man doesn't walk, then Jesus is a fake. But if this man walks, it shows that not only does he have the power of God to heal, but God will also be backing up Jesus' statement that he has God's power to forgive sins. Verse 17. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. And they praised God for sending a man with such great authority. Now that's an amazing story just as it is. But there is another layer of meaning. So this is our second to last message in our long series we've been doing called Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament. And this morning I want to bring out One more quote from the Old Testament that piles this story high with meaning. But before we do that, first I want to thank my assistant, Beth Settle, who for the last four months has been creating these, formatting these all weekend long sermon notes that we have. This is the last one you have to make, Beth. (laughs) Thank you. If no one else is applauding, she is. And so here it is. The Old Testament quote is where Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. That comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel. Daniel is kind of the revelation of the Old Testament. In Daniel, uh, the prophet has a vision of four beasts coming out of the sea. There is a winged lion. There is a four-headed, four-winged leopard. There is a bear gnawing on three ribs and a beast with ten horns. And they're wreaking destruction upon the face of the earth. Sounds a lot like Revelation in the New Testament, doesn't it? If you read it. Like Revelation, many people try to assign meaning to these symbolic monsters from the sea. Uh, Perhaps they represent the world powers that have enslaved Israel in the past. Egypt, Assyria, Babylonia, Persia. Others say that perhaps they represent the nations that were conquering Israel at the time of Daniel. They might even represent the four Greek generals who were fighting for control of the empire of Alexander the Great after Alexander died uh, much earlier than would have been expected. Others say it's a future prediction of future empires, the Roman Empire, the Third Reich, the Soviet Empire, the Empire Strikes Back. I I think all of these, except maybe the Empire Strikes Back, are getting at the, the right notion. That out of the sea of chaos comes these incredible authorities that try to control everything with power, authority, vengeance. But after all these monsters have appeared in Daniel chapter 7, comes these verses. We'll begin in verse 13. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into His presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey Him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Now those are nearly the same words that God used when He made His covenant with King David that we studied together back in August. 2 Samuel chapter 7, I will make his kingdom strong. I will secure his royal throne forever. 
Not only is Jesus saying that he is the one who has come to forgive sins, he's also the one who will end this endless cycle of evil empires. He is the last king of kings. He is the last in the line of King David. But he is a king unlike any we have ever seen before. The Son of Man, when Jesus uses it, and he uses it often, always carries tremendous meaning. In the Gospel of Matthew, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of Luke, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Again in Luke, The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. There's never been a king like this before. And he is bringing with him a new kind of authority. Here's a sweet little story about authority. Busy in his study, a minister was preparing a sermon for the coming Sunday. He reached to the shelf at his side for a book and then remembered he'd left it downstairs. His little daughter was playing in the bedroom and he called her. She came running, eager and delighted at the thought that Papa needed her. He explained carefully where she could find the book and she went gladly, returning in a moment with the book which he saw at a glance was the wrong one. But he hardly looked at the book as he took it and laid it on the table. He looked only at the eager face of his daughter, wreathed in smiles. Gathering her close to his heart, he kissed her and said, Thank you, darling. And when she had gone back, happy and contented to her play, he went quietly for the book he needed. I think I should like to listen to the sermons that man would preach. Jesus' authority comes from that place. Here's an illustration my brother taught to me, and I've shared it with you within the last month, but I'm saying this uh, illustration everywhere I go these days. I feel like this is an ancient truth that's uh, begging to be retold again and again until we hear it. So everywhere I've gone, gone to, to speak here at church and outside over the last month, I've, I've said this to the group. I say, uh, who here is excited for Judgment Day? Who here is excited for the authority of Christ to sweep over the world? And almost no one raises their hands. And then I ask, uh, then why does the Bible seem to be excited for Judgment Day and for the authority of Christ to sweep over the world? Because in their context, in their ancient context, judges don't come to hand out sentences and fines. Judges come to make it right. In the ancient times, judges came and sat at the city gates and heard cases and then returned what was stolen, restored what was lost repaid those who had been robbed and crushed, and yes, expelled those who would not stop doing evil. In the kingdom to come, the judge, Jesus, will restore lost things. He will lift up all who were crushed. He will return what was taken, even children and loved ones taken in death. Those who don't have the heart to change, no real desire to let go of evil, will be expelled. That can't keep going on in the kingdom of God. And that sorting of things is already beginning. Right now, every single person in here, including myself, has the Spirit whispering something to you in your life that He would like to change in order that we could be more ready for this coming kingdom. And the question comes, are you willing to change this? 
If you are, he promises to send his Holy Spirit to help you. And he has already created the church. It's been here for quite some time for us to all come for support and guidance and acceptance as we try to change these things that the Spirit whispers to us to change. And as it says at the end of Away in the Manger, the Christmas song, fit us for heaven to live with you there. All will be set right. Everything will be set right. The coming judge will set all things right. And then I say, now who is excited for the coming of judgment day and the authority of Christ to sweep over the world and set all things right? And almost everybody in the room raises their hand. Because it's not authority that impresses us. It's the kind of authority that Jesus represents. And he told us to wield our authority, whatever it is, in the same way. And that's why we can say that the kingdom of heaven has already begun. Because all over the world this morning and last night on the other side of the dateline, groups like this have met and listened to the Spirit about how to use the authority given to us on earth. Christmas is the promise that guarantees all promises. How do we know that this second coming is going to happen? Because Christmas happened. Christmas is impossible. The Old Testament prophets said a virgin would be with child. The Old Testament prophets said an anointed one would come from the insignificant village of Bethlehem. The Old Testament prophets said he would be scorned, whipped, beaten, and killed. And the Old Testament prophet this morning says the Son of Man would come at the end of all empires and establish a kingdom that would never end. Two of those impossible promises happened on Christmas. The third happened on Easter. We're just waiting for the last one. We're just waiting for the last one to make our joy complete. When three impossible things have already happened, the fourth isn't such a big deal. And so we wait. Here's a story about waiting for the impossible promise of the rescue of God. I heard a, another pastor tell this story. Uh, he had taken his uh, family to a fishing cottage to get some vacation time, but he did have a book deal in the work, so he was waiting for a call from his publisher. His boy and he were out uh, on the dock, young son, and they were fishing, and the phone rang up at the house. So he was waiting for the publisher to call, and in one of those moments is apparent when you kind of make a, a hasty snap decision that you regret for the rest of your life, he left his son on the dock and ran up to the house to answer the phone. He could see the dock from where the phone was by the back door, but the conversation was more involved than he anticipated, and in his fidgetiness, he turned away from the dock for a moment, and when he hung up the phone and turned around, the dock was empty. He ran down to the dock as fast as he could. He looked into the water for his three- or four-year-old, Already there's no ripples. So he dives into the water, clothes and all, swims down into the cold and the dark and the pressure to find the body of his young son. And he finds him. Not down in the muck. He's, he's about three feet below the surface. And he's hanging on to the leg of the dock and his body is rigid. And when the father grabs his son, his body relaxes. He lets go. He swims up to the water surface. He puts his son up on the dock. They both cough. And then his son says, 
I fell in, Dad. And he says, yeah, buddy, you sure did. Son, what were you doing down there under the water hanging on to the leg of the dock? And his son says with bright eyes, just waiting for you, Dad. (laughs) That's who we are. We've fallen into the dark and the pressure and the cold. And all we can do is hang on and wait knowing our Father will come rescue us. So whatever it is this season that you have fallen into, find this promise of Christmas to clasp onto. Three impossible things have already happened. And let us be this Advent season of people who wait for the fourth and final promise to be kept. The return of Christ and His kingdom and His authority to set all things right and bring us joy. Amen. He gives us a meal to remember that promise if those who serve communion would like to come forward. On the night he was betrayed, the night before the third impossible promise, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which would be broken for you. And then he took a cup and he said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death, and then here it is, until I eat and drink it with you and my Father's kingdom. The last promise. Until I eat and drink it with you and my Father's kingdom. That's what we do today. As we come down the aisle, you can tear off a piece of bread. You dip it in the cup. And you receive not just the forgiveness of sins, but the hope of His coming authority to bring us joy. You're participating in the third promise and awaiting the fourth. Let us stand together and pray the prayer that Christ Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Christ and all of his promises be as real to us as this food and this drink. Amen. Come forward when you're ready. This night is the long night. This night is the eve of the great nativity. Wait with watchful heart. Listen carefully through the stillness. Listen, hear the telling of the waves upon the shore. Ere long it will be heard that his foot has reached the earth. Truly his salvation is near. 
Watch and pray. Those who are longing await his appearing. Watch, wait, listen. Amen. Go forth in joy.